Second reading is from 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 13. And if you'd like to follow along, I'm reading from the, uh, page 26 from the booklet. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you were always that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you know and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Gracious God, as... Bible has been read to us and has been taught to us this evening. Deliver us all from unbelief and disobedience. Help us to encourage one another that none may be hardened by the deceits of the Christian and producing a fruit of your spirit to the glory of you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Have you ever had the experience where you desperately wanted to know whether a loved one was safe, whether they were okay, whether they were alive. Uh, in last year in Mexico City, an earthquake ripped through that city and killed more than 100 people. Hundreds more, thousands more trapped under buildings. And there was a lady called Maria in Adelaide South Australia, and her dad was in Mexico City. She says this, My dad is there. He left last night from here to Argentina, and that was his connection. He was on one of the last few planes to leave before it shook. It is a terrifying waiting game. You can't do anything. You feel like your hands are tied. And she waited hours and hours. 
to hear the word with that delight is okay. I don't know what it's like to be Maria. I've never been in that experience, had that experience. But Paul the Apostle in the Bible knows what it's like. He is desperate to know, up all night, worrying, consumed with fear of this church that he loves, the church of Thessalonians. See, this church, everyone is new to Christianity. Everyone is new to the faith. And they've been abandoned by Paul and a truckload of persecution has come their way. And so Paul is wondering, is this church whom he loves, are they okay? Not physically speaking, but spiritually speaking. Are they still sticking with Jesus? The big question is, how will they go? How will we go when tough time come your way as a Christian? Because when the rubber hits the road, when you're attacked, maybe persecuted for your faith, how will you stand up to it? What will you do? Now, I've got to be honest with you. I don't really want to preach this sermon, right? I, I don't want to talk about this passage. A number of reasons. It's, it's a bit awkward to talk about this topic in the Western world, I think. Um, to be honest, I'm a bit scared. Uh, and I just felt like we did the other day. But because we go chapter by chapter, book by book, we want to let God set the agenda. So what I want to do is clear up the air about this topic of persecution in Christianity. Because there's a few misconceptions around it. And then we're going to look at, towards the end, two practical ways in which we can continue in, and to endure as Christians. Right? That's where we're going. Because it's what Paul did in talking about persecution. Verse 4, have a look. He says, In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we'd be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. The topic of persecution, I feel like, in the Western world, is kind of like the middle child. You know what's there that you'll forget about, you know? Middle child, you ever feel like that? Uh, I just, uh, you know, it's, it's there, but you just, we, we, it's not on the horizon. A guy called Mike Rader, who was in Sydney, went to Pakistan. And he was working with the church elders there. And he read his Bible. He read his Bible in Sydney, he read it in Pakistan. But as he's reading in Pakistan, all of a sudden these verses, which he just skimmed over about the sacrifice and the hardship and persecution of the Christian, all of a sudden were highlighted in a new way for him. Now, there's a couple of misconceptions. The first one is this. Persecution doesn't happen anymore. That was a thing in the past. But it's interesting, the International Society of Human Rights, which is a secular group, says this. 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world are directed towards Christians. Another organization says this. 100,000 Christians die for their faith every year. It's about 11 during the course of this service will die right now. Now, I think in the West, we're surprised by that, right? Because Christianity here has had a, a, an influence, a dominance. But we've got to realize, for most Christians, when they become a Christian, they lose a lot. It might be, they might experience family shame. When my dad became a Christian, his mum cried every day for a year at the shame of it. Uh, most people, when they become Christians, their family distance themselves. They walk away. They might write them out of the will. 
for some Christians, well, most Christians, it, at, when they become a Christian, they might lose their job. They might be ridiculed, attacked, physically assaulted, and end up in prison. And some, as you heard, die. That is the norm. Because when Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you, he wasn't joking. And Martin Luther says this, if they gave Jesus, our master, a crown of thorns, why do we hope for a crown of roses? Now, if, if you don't experience this, there's two things generally have occurred. Either you've grown up in a Christian family, might work in a Christian environment, or you've grown up in an Anglo-Saxon white family, where the motto is, whatever makes you happy. Because people might roll their eyes, they become a Christian, but in, in the end, whatever makes you happy wins. But even that, I think, is changing. So the standard we've got to get in our heads as a Christian is not, life is not a carefree walk in the park. For most Christians, it involves loss. Another misconception is this, everything is persecution. Because Christianity in the West has been one of uh, significant influence and dominance, that really is an unusual bubble when you look at most Christians' experience. What we've experienced is a bubble, and the bubble is popped. And there's a tendency, right, to blame everything, uh, to, to call out everything as persecution. At the drop of a hat, I'm being persecuted. You know, so someone might say in my workplace, I'm being persecuted, it's really hard, and you scratch beneath the surface and you realize they're just a self-righteous, arrogant jerk. You know what I mean? It's nothing to do with Jesus, everything to do with their personality. Or they might say, well, my family doesn't want to talk to me. And you realize, well, that's because you've got bad BO. You know, you just, let's get perspective here, right? Or say, for example, in the state of New South Wales, they remove uh, teaching scripture in schools. Or they take away tax uh, benefits in terms of charities and churches. If they do that, that is not persecution, right? Those things are good things. They're, they're privileges. They're not rights. It's disappointing, but it's not persecution. And can I just say, because things are changing, the worst thing we can do is to moan and to mope and say, oh, remember the good old days? Because that is so patronizing to Christians overseas who are having their heads cut off for following Jesus. Persecution is where we are attacked emotionally, physically, whatever it might be, because we have a trust in Jesus. That's it. 2 Timothy 3 says this, If every, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, some of you may be thinking, no one's told me this. But I found it to be a Christian. This, this, this wasn't mentioned. It's like when you click accept for the terms and conditions of iTunes. You don't read it. You just accept. Maybe that's for you. You sort of became a Christian. You think, gee, this is a bit different. But uh, my job as a pastor is to, to tell you as a Christian, this is part and parcel with it. But there's another misconception, which is if you talk about persecution, you, you are judgmental and, and bigoted, right? But have a look at verse 5 of chapter 3. Paul says this, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Who's Paul referring to there? He, he, the tempter, that's Satan. Now you might be thinking, I couldn't, I couldn't believe in Satan, 21st century. But hear me out. 
I think if you believe in Satan, it'll actually make you a more tolerant person. Here's what I mean. When you're under a hard time, when you're being ridiculed, when you're being oppressed, it is so easy to look at your enemies and think, they're the problem. That political party, that race, that type of person, him, her, and to dwell on that, to fester and to blame them and demonize them when Paul is saying the problem is actually not the people, but the people hate Satan himself. As it says in Ephesians, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in the he- of evil in the heavenly realms. Because if Satan is the ultimate enemy, then it liberates you from pointing the fingers at others. Because Paul says when it comes to other people, it comes to your enemies, verse 12, that love them, but fear Satan. Because Satan's goal, if you're a Christian, is for you to walk away from Jesus. That his is his goal in life. And he knows persecution, being ridiculed, attacked for your faith, is one of the best ways for, to dislodge you. He's been doing it for centuries, and he'll continue to do it. So when you are mocked, when you're attacked, when it's a hard time standing up for Jesus, know that Satan is using that to get you to walk away from Jesus. So the question is, is he winning? Can you see why Paul is so worried about this church? New Christians. Satan wants them gone. Persecuted. They have a very slim chance of survival, it says. That's why Paul says in verse 1, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, so we sent Timothy on an eight-day journey, give or take. And verse 6, Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. This moment for Paul's like this, ah, they're okay. They're doing it. They're still stuck with Jesus. It's like in uh, 2015, it was, there was an earthquake in Nepal, and Facebook released the thing called Safety Check. You might have seen it, where people in a natural disaster can uh, use social media to say to family and friends, I'm okay, I'm alive. A guy called Dinesh Gurung said this when they released it. At this time of desperation and disaster, just knowing your loved ones are safe is like a beam of light in the dark. I'm pretty sure that's what Paul felt when he heard the news from Timothy. It's like a beam of light in the dark. They're okay. They've been through the trenches, but they're still sticking with Jesus. So we're going to change gears for a moment, and uh, I'm going to introduce one of the members of our congregation, Yasser. Yasser, I'm going to come up. And uh, we're going to hear his story. Um, Come up, brother. uh, About... Him becoming a Christian, what has that meant for him in his life? Thanks, brother. Let me turn this on. Hello. Um, yeah, so you grew up in Egypt, uh, and you grew up a Muslim man, uh, but you went on a spiritual journey, as it were. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that journey? Yeah, well, it started with uh, some questions about Islam uh, very early in my life when I was like um, 27 or something, 25. 
And I had, I had these questions and I didn't really want to ask any of the scholars or any of my family members. I just had this uh, call inside me saying, you can be asking God. So I was always praying. And I, um, I had a long journey starting from studying Islam itself because I said maybe I don't understand or the mistake is mine. So I have to learn more and get connected to this God. I was really trying to seek um, relationship. I was trying to find something that makes me connected. And it, it's not there actually in Islam, but I had to search for it. So I studied Islam. I became a um, Muslim brother for a long uh, time, like five years. And then I, I found like there's, there's no answers there. So I started being called to uh, go into interfaith dialogue. Then I started meeting uh, other religions. And it came um, at the end that I was invited to a um, conference in India. And I met the Baha'i faith. And the Baha'i faith is a religion after Islam. So I studied the Baha'i faith for some time. And I, got, I really believed in this faith as a step forward of Islam. And then later on, I studied Hinduism and Buddhism as well. But all these things didn't have like a clear answer for my, uh, the things that I am searching for. Or, and I, by the end of the story, I came to the church when the revolution came in Egypt in 2011. In the square there. Yeah. Far right. Yeah. yeah. So you were there. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. was there and um, starting from there, I started going to the church. And yeah. There was something about the church that they did that stood out for you, what, what was that? Well, that, that was that they were serving the people unconditionally. They were uh, providing medicines for the uh, injured uh, protesters because it was really hard, like the police and the army, and there was shooting and um, people were injured and killed and uh, it was a very uh, dramatical situation. So I, they were offering medicines and uh, unconditionally serving the people. You just go and get whatever you need and, and leave. You don't yeah. have to be a Christian. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to belong to believe anything. So I just felt like these people are different. I have to go inside and see what is the motive. And you became a Christian a few years after that. And they baptized. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks for that. That was the beginning, really, of your journey. Um, you've experienced quite a bit of persecution. What was it like for you as a Christian from then on? Well, um, I, I actually had a long time before being Christian because it, was, it wasn't really, um, at that moment, it wasn't the thing that I'm, thi I'm thinking of because I had a lot, lot of um, bad experiences with other religions. So I said, it, it looks like the same in, in a condition that I have to do. Uh, I have to be baptized to get uh, salvation. So this is like a condition. I have to offer something for God. And this was my understanding. So that was, that's why it took me three years to be um, believing that it's not a condition and the understanding that I want to be doing this. So I just uh, was baptized in the church in 2014. And starting from then, everything uh, outside was, went wrong and everything inside went much better. Okay. What, <laughs> <laughs> what, what went wrong? What, what persecution did you... Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, when I think about this, this word persecution, I can, I can classify different, different types of persecution. So the physical one, um, I was uh, arrested by the police. Um, 
not only once, but uh, twice. I was arrested just because of holding some Christian books and having the uh, Egyptian uh, ID, which shows that I am Muslim. So they just uh, arrested me and beated me, insulted me, and done, had did like lots of painful things just because they wanted to punish me for this. And the other thing would be the mental psychological uh, persecution which came from my family um, they they decided to put me in a men mental psychological hospital um, thinking i am crazy and there's something wrong um, just because i'm thinking outside islam so this was one of the hardest uh, types of persecution mm -hmm. but the the most painful one was the emotional and social one that came later on and actually still uh, going on, which is um, the, the way that my family is talking about, my fam about me to my sons. So I, I, I can um, feel that my sons are filled with hatred and disrespect. And this is showing in their messages to me nowadays. And it's so hard to feel like these are the people that have been loving all the time. And now they're not accepting and they don't want you anymore in their lives. So it's it's this is some sort of very painful persecution. And so your wife left you for becoming a Christian. And yeah. your son actually and you you're not allowed to talk to your son. She she asked him. for divorce and I respected her will for that. And uh, but I was actually I was expecting that everything can be better. Better or yeah. at least there is some sort of respect and a chance for me to be talking to my sons, but now it's, it's, it's getting more and more complicated yeah. and my sons themselves don't want to be yeah. talking to me. Rabbi, can I ask, you have lost your wife, access to your boys, you've lost your job, the place is your homeland, you've been beaten, you've gone to prison. Is Jesus worth it? I can't, I can't say no, I can't say no, because he, he, he left his glory and came to me to be crucified for me, and he believed that I worth it. So how can I be saying that he doesn't be worth it, definitely? And everything I am uh, going through is giving me more connection to him and um, making me feel how much he paid for me and how much he loves me, and this is um, uh, this is my reward. Yeah. Yeah. And Robert, it has been a joy having you with us here at 5.30, and uh, I know that you've arrived thank encouraged you. here in Yafta with your shared friends, so thank you, brother. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I just want, want to say one more word that I'm, I'm not uh, encouraging you to be um, asking for persecution. I know this is, this is impossible and this is not what God wants, but um, I'm encouraging you to see persecution as, um, as a way of being so similar to Jesus Christ. This is one of the main aspects of, of his personality. So if you want to be as much as, mm. as him, you need to be somehow persecuted and it's not that it's not that painful when you're persecuted because it comes with grace and it comes with joy and it comes with his embracing so he will never ever allow persecution to be over limited or um, a burden on you he knows exactly what you can bear and he will be there for you all the time thank you brother thank you
what yes has been to it. I think what amazes me is he's probably the smiliest person in this room. He has joy. Um, I don't know about you, but I hear people like yes, but I hear stories of people continuing on the faith. I feel what Paul feels in verse 8. I don't know if you do. Here's this. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. And I get excited when someone becomes a Christian. To be honest, I get just as excited as someone who sticks with Jesus, even though going through a rough time. Um, Personally, not much phases me, right? The psychologist says I have low neuroticism. Sounds weird, but basically it means that life for me is like a merry-go-round, not a roller coaster. But tell you what does phase me. What does phase me is when someone gives up on Jesus and they walk away. It affects me for days. I, I have a thing which I do, which I just listened to a Bob Dylan song called Pressing On, written in his Christian days, which is all the more ironic. But I, I just listen to that song and I go for a walk and it gets me down. But the thing that invigorates me so, almost as Paul says, makes you really live, is when someone sticks with Jesus even they're going through a rough trial, and they say, Jesus is enough. You might be here this evening, and this may be your first time in church. You might call yourself a skeptic. You might not call yourself a Christian. You might be thinking, why would someone do this? Why would someone give up all this? And the answer really is, a Christian sacrifices things that they love, because Jesus sacrificed himself for us. That we'll go through a hard time because Jesus went through the hardest time of all in taking our sin upon himself. Jesus told this story, this parable, about a man who was digging in a field. And he hid this conch, digs a bit more, and he found this treasure box. And he goes, he buries the treasure, puts the dirt over it, runs, sells everything he has come back to buy the field to get that treasure. He realized that treasure was worth more than anything else. And a Christian is someone who has seen the treasure of Jesus Christ and he is worth giving up everything. As Paul writes this letter, he said there are two practical things which he encourages us to do to keep going in the faith. There's two practical things. One of them is prayer. Verse 10, Paul says this, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. See, Paul is well aware of the pressure to give up as a Christian. The temptation to walk away. And he's not with them, right? It's eight days journey in between where he is and where the church is. He can't stop it. He can't do anything. He can't fix it. But he can pray. And often our tendency is to give advice or try to solve the problem, right? But we need to learn from Paul the best thing we can do in supporting us to keep going is to pray for one another. And not just say we're praying, but actually pray. That's where verse 11 to 13 is, is a prayer. And see what Paul prays. He, he firstly prays that they will see them face to face. But he secondly prays that they will grow in love. Verse 12 May the Lord make, you l- make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. 
See, the temptation is, right, when things get hard, when things get difficult, to turn on each other. You know when you get anxious and you lash out at those people closest to you? You, you get frustrated, so you, you, you just, rah, to the people around you. In, uh, before I was a minister, I was a public high school teacher out in Western Sydney. And I don't want to add a few stereotypes, but there was times when it was tough, right? There was times which kids, oh, they'd give you a run for your money. They were rough and uh, break up fights and that kind of thing in the playground. And so going out there into the playground, it was a scary thing at times. But I'd come, hu- come to the staff room. It was me and nine other women in the English department. And it was a safe place because I knew that they wouldn't have a go at me. I, I could trust them. And so it made going out to the playground a bit easier. And it's a tough world out there as a Christian. But if this place here is not a place of love, of care, then we ain't going to survive. Because Paul is praying that though you may be mocked out there, you will be wanted in here. That though you may be ignored out there, you'll be listened to here. Though your biological family may want nothing to do with you, your church family wants you. And so let us pray that we would grow in love for one another and for everyone else. The other thing Paul prays is that of holiness. See, the temptation is when difficult times come your way, for you to say to God, God, you owe me. I've been through a tough time, so I get a blank check, a hall pass to do whatever I want. So, you, you know, you might drink too much, you might look at porn, you might get lazy, uh, you might uh, speak some lies, whatever it might be. You think, God, you owe me, so I'm just going to do it. But see what Paul prays? He says, may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. See, if you're a Christian... Get this, you are holy. You are blameless. When God looks at you, he sees perfection. And that has nothing to do with us, it has everything to do with Jesus. Do you know that? You are perfect in God's sight because of what Jesus has done in removing your sin. And because that is who we are, we are called to live that out. Because Jesus is coming back and we're going to see him in all his glory and all ours. It's like if you received an invitation to meet royalty and nothing could hinder that invitation. Don't rock up to that meeting in meeting royalty, in your pajamas, or wearing socks and thongs, or in the clothes you just did the gardening, right? Look respectable. And we're going to meet Jesus Christ. So don't wallow in your sin, but live out who you are called to be, who you are in God's sight. So pray, pray that we would grow in love for one another and value holiness, Paul says. But the other thing Paul says, the other practical thing is we need people. When I think of Paul the Apostle, I don't know about you, but I think of him as a super Christian, sort of this cape as he goes around the Middle East. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He sort of just flies around the Middle uh, East. He just, he just almost seems invincible at some point. But what I love about the, this letter is there's almost a vulnerability to him where he seems almost down, deflated. But verse 9, 
how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you, he says to the church of Thessalonica. See, being a Christian is not a solo event. It is a team sport. Even someone like Paul the Apostle needs other people to encourage him to keep going. He cannot do it on his own. And God has saved us for community. As you look around, you need these people just as much as they need you. To encourage you, to pray for you, to say, though persecution may come, though you get might get mocked, though you might get ridiculed, though the doubts and the worries will come, they will, verse, six, uh, verse 10, supply what is lacking in your faith. Build you up when you feel like giving up. Give you courage when you feel like your courage is flailing. To say, keep on going when you feel like exiting stage left. To walk towards you when you feel like walking away from God. That we need each other in small and big ways to make it clear. In a moment, we're going to turn to open mic where you can come up here and you can share the ways in which people in your life have encouraged you to keep on going. To who maybe have prayed for you, encouraged you, said something, been there for a long time of your life, maybe a short time, to continue your race in becoming, uh, in not in becoming a Christian, but being a Christian. But before we turn to open mic, I just want to share a confession. When I came to church by the bridge about five years ago, I thought being a Christian here in Kirribilli would be an easy thing. The hardest thing would be trying to find a pub. Right? That's what I thought. And though what we experienced was not nearly as similar to the persecuted church elsewhere, I was wrong. Because as I meet people such as yourselves and I listen to your stories, I have been amazed at the, the hardships you've experienced and yet you've still stuck with Jesus and you say he's enough. Some of you live with the disapproval of your parents because you decided to become a Christian. Others of you have missed out on job opportunities because of your faith. Some of you, your children don't want anything to do with you because of your belief. Some of you have given up on relationships because that person was not a Christian. Others of you go to work and you're there, you're mocked and you're teased and you're the butt end of most of it. All because you know that Jesus is enough. And can I say, as your pastor, I feel what Paul feels when he says, for now we really live since we are standing firm in the Lord. So over to you. The mic is open to come up and share the ways in which people have had an impact on your life and standing firm in the Lord.